Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Did you know that the average MSP spends 10 hours manually inputting accounting data each week? That time is 120 prospect calls, building an entire Lego Death Star, or most of the content put out by Carl Polichuk in a week. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation. Automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just a single click of a button. With onboarding, direct support, and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at gozynta.com. This is Carl Polachek. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today by Scott Sandland, who uh, has created a pretty cool little company, and he is uh, he builds himself as the former world's youngest hypnotherapist, now working in artificial intelligence. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. So, so let's start with the before time. So, uh, what's your origin story, and how did you get here? Sure. So I was the world's youngest hypnotherapist for a couple of years, uh, ended up being the youngest board member for the International Medical and Dental Hypnotherapy Association, was in private practice for 17 years, Did uh, was the CEO of a mental health clinic for a handful of others. And uh, the origin of my company is, is it dovetails really well with that. I found that uh, teen suicide became the second leading cause of death in America. Uh, under the age of 24, um, over a seven-year window, it got really, really bad. And I was watching kids go off the rails, and I had a front row seat for that. And I said, we need to figure out ways to help these kids at scale. So I went from private practice to running a mental health clinic. And I realized with the mental health clinic, we were still getting to the problem too late. And uh, we need to get on the prevention side and the technology side and not just having 15-year-olds meet a 35-year-old stranger and tell them all their secrets once it was a big problem. And so I built uh, Cyrano to help address that problem. So uh, this is a huge problem, and it's gargantuan. In fact, the, the person that connected us, uh, yeah. her, her son uh, committed suicide. And, um, you know, that... It's, it eventually led us to <laughs> my first trip to Australia is to help her take her son's ashes back uh, wow. for a ceremony. And so, um, you know, and I've, I've known people, I have a brother who committed suicide. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, this is nothing to belittle or to brush under the rug as we frequently do with problems. Um, so where does the artificial intelligence come in? Sure. So uh, to underscore the statistics before I answer that, though, uh, over a seven-year window, uh, teen suicide doubled. And then the next year, it got 20% worse. Uh, And it is the leading cause of death for girls between the age of uh, 12 and 14. And then again, from 16 to 19, it's the leading cause of death. Hmm. Uh, It's terrible. And, and this doesn't even account for all the kids that get like knocked off track, you know, that like drop out of school or get over medicated or lose their youth to, you know, that process. 
Um, so I wanted to, I had built up a, a practice. I'd built up a clinic. I had trained, you know, dozens bordering on a couple hundred therapists. And, uh, and that's, you know, a considerable amount. And I said, okay, most of the people who work for me can do 80%-ish of what I can do. If I can build a robot that can do 80% of that, I can do things at scale that I currently cannot do. And so I thought I'll just build a chatbot that's good because chatbots are tend to be like just on a website, like, hey, can I get your email address? We'll have someone contact you. What if I could build a chatbot that was actually an effective communicator? And so I tried building it uh, with a handful of systems that are already out there in the marketplace to build your own chatbot kind of thing. And they all suck. Um, and the reason they suck is because they're not trying to do what my colleagues and I try to do, which is active listening. And you know, listening with strategy and empathy and all of those things that go into understanding a person that you know, we usually take for granted until you're trying to replicate it. And uh, so long story short, a friend of mine is a sociologist and a neurolinguist, and he and I got together and built a tool that could uh, approach conversations with empathy and strategy. And we uh, patented that system. And here we are now. So how does uh, a chat bot have empathy, right? Because it, it doesn't have emotions. So sure. how can it relate to a teenage, let's just say a girl, but a yeah. teenager who's having serious issues and it, you know, wants yep. to open, their, open themselves up and be vulnerable? Yeah, so we could do this with a chatbot, or we could do this with just a tool listening in the background and advising a human. So it could be augmenting a traditional therapist or a volunteer at the crisis hotline, so on and so forth. And the idea is really you have to define empathy well. And you know, I talk to a lot of people, and most people don't actually have a good working definition for empathy and an understanding of how to differentiate it from sympathy. And those are importantly separate things. So if you say to me, Scott, I'm having a terrible day. And I say, wow, I'm sorry, that sucks. And I mean it, but that's all I say. That's sympathy. Okay, that's me saying, man, eh, that sucks. Empathy is me in that moment trying to think and even saying possibly out loud, what can I do to help your situation? How can we move you into a better experience or outcome? That's what empathy is, is, is trying to optimizing for improving the situation of others. That's and because so, I, I always think of empathy with regard to customer service. I uh -huh. want somebody to say, look, I haven't broken my stuff the way you've broken your stuff, but I know how it feels to be frustrated when your stuff breaks, right? right. And so, so the, that's how I think of empathy is more of like, I, not, kind of like I feel what you're feeling or I understand how you're feeling. Yeah, I understand how you're feeling and I understand that you want it to be better. Yeah. And, and I really think of therapy as customer service for life. Um, because when, when your printer breaks and you call HP and you say, hey, my printer's not working, whoever you're talking to, they didn't build or break your printer. It is totally not their fault. Right. But you're going to them because you need their insights or resources or whatever to remedy your situation. Therapy works the same way. When a client comes to me, I didn't screw up their life. I didn't make their problems larger. I didn't do any of that. But they're coming to me for the resources, advice, uh, directions, whatever it is, 
so that we can fix their situation. So there's actually a, a, a wonderful parallel there. So it's interesting to me because a lot of the chatbots for customer service, for example, are horrible. Yes. Right. They, they literally, they ask the same six questions over and over. And, right. you know, it's sort of like uh, they, they never called it AI back in the day, but in the 1990s, there was this little DOS thing that, you know, it would just keep asking you questions like, tell me more about that. And how does that make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I remember it. Uh, it's that's called Rogerian therapy. Um, and Rogerian therapy has nine questions, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's, tell me, uh, can you tell me more? How does that make you feel? What was that like for you? Um, how do you feel about it now? Um, you know, very, tell me about your mother, sort of cliche, bad right. movie therapist. But I, I remember that, let's call it a bot, but yeah. whatever it was, yeah. And and the um, the thing about a bad chat bot is it can be frustrating and do more damage than good. I mean, yes. if you get like, if, if a chat bot says, I'm sorry, your printer is broken. Um, have you tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? <laughs> That's just going to piss me off. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Because so, I've been on hold. Of course I tried that first. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so we are dealing with people who are emotionally fragile. Mm -hmm. So how do you make sure that AI is literally doing only good? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, the ethics of this are really important to get right. Uh, and we made a decision when we started this company that we would not move fast and break things, which is what entrepreneurship often requires. Uh, and inventing often requires the ability to move fast, break things, make mistakes and, and iterate. And we said, what we need to do is focus on high value, critical conversations. And, and that's really what we've done. So uh, the first thing we did was we said, we aren't going anywhere near therapy at the beginning um, for a few reasons. One is the ethics, but also the training data in uh, therapy sucks. Uh, from an AI perspective, the, the conversations you would need to ingest and analyze are protected by HIPAA. You know, there's confidentiality there that should be there. So most therapists aren't audio recording and then transcribing their patient sessions with great reason. Right. Um, but also if I have a client who's a 15 year old girl and I say, how are you doing today? And she says, I'm terrible. And then next week I, she comes back for our second session or third session. I say, how are you today? And she says, I'm fantastic. It's not because I did a really good job last week. It's because, you know, she got an A on her history test or the boy asked her to prom or her friends did a nice thing for her or whatever it is, but the AI wouldn't be able to score that. And so the AI would just say, okay, well, whatever he said in that last session is what we should say every time. Um, and a human would know the difference, but a robot wouldn't. So we said we need to start in sales of high value um, items. So homes, cars, financial services, uh, those kinds of places where you're having high value conversations that are relationship driven, that are emotional in nature, um, and we can have better apples to apples data sets for training the systems. And if our robot is a B minus system today, just to throw that out there, I can sleep at night knowing that our B minus system is helping a little bit and sometimes being wrong. And somebody's not gonna sell another Honda because my system gave the wrong advice. But I wouldn't feel good about that uh, in a therapeutic context. Right. Well, it's interesting. So on a different podcast I do called the Killing It podcast, 
Uh, we talk about emerging technologies all the time. And one of the things we always talk about with AI is almost every time there's a story about AI, there is an ethical component. And it's, yes. it's huge. I mean, it's, you know, facial recognition that tends to recognize mostly white people, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, things like that, or AI that, that profiles uh, bad guys and then the cops just go arrest somebody for no random reason. Or worse is sentencing guidelines. So, oh, yeah. yeah, like, so the way that we have a GPS that tells us where to turn left and right, and then we just stop paying attention to where we're going, we just trust the AI, which I do with my GPS. Um, judges now have in like 30 states, they have this tool that just inputs data about the defendant that would be inadmissible in court, like stuff that's absolutely not okay to ask the person like, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? Did your parents ever go to jail? Do you have a job? How much money do you make a year? What neighborhood do you live in? And that goes into an AI. And that AI then tells a judge, this is how many years to give them in prison. And that is insanely biased and awful. Right. Um, so it's a huge problem. Yeah. So so how how do you intend to let this evolve or to to make this evolve and have lots of, I guess, input on the ethical side of things? Yeah. Uh, so it's been a thing that we've talked about a lot and we've uh, we've been really fortunate to get the attention of a handful of AI ethicists who helped us with frameworks. Um, I actually went, uh, we did some work where we helped um, used our AI to help prosecute the institutional cover-ups of sex crimes against minors. So, uh, you know, without naming the organization, you know, the big organizations that tend to get in trouble for abusing kids, uh, they used, uh, a, a team used our software to sort of prove who knew what when. And that got us invited to the United Nations, which was awesome. Uh, so we went to the United Nations AI for Good conference, and there were a bunch of AI ethicists there. And uh, I went to all those talks, and I, I tried to go out to lunch with every one of the AI ethicists. And I said, look, I have a patent on a robot that can talk people into and out of decisions. And we want to point this at suicide and mental health. And I'll, I'll never forget the first time that probably the smartest AI ethicist there is a woman, um, or at least she was my favorite. And I said that to her and she, she just about literally dropped the glass she was holding. And she said, what did you build? <laughs> and, uh, and when I told her, she's like, she looked at her friend, she goes, we have to cancel lunch. And she said, did you just build a robot that can talk people into killing themselves? And I said, I did. Yeah, that's exactly what I've built. Because wow. the only way to know how to talk people into doing something is to know how to talk them out of doing things and the inverse. So I've built a tool that can help talk people out of self-harm or into a treatment plan, but the inverse of both those things is also true. Wow. So how long, I mean, when you think about a session with a therapist, usually they're in that, you know, 45 to 50 minutes, 60 minute range. Absolutely. Um, but I can imagine if this is something that people administer to themselves, that if there's no other human being, they could just turn it on and, and use it more frequently. Yes. And at some point that could be a problem as well. Yeah. There's there again, the, the double-edged sort of, you know, you can go both ways on this um, where you can say, if a 14 year old boy is getting bullied in the quad at lunch. And so instead of going out to that lunchroom, he has a tool that he can talk to for a few minutes. 
and it's 10 minutes long, just, you know, during a break in between classes. And it looks like he's texting on his phone. So everyone just thinks he's talking to somebody and he's just texting back and forth and he's getting support right then. And it's a 10 minute intervention. And it's just a little bit of something. Or that same kid is up all night because he just had a bad day for whatever reason, home life, you know, school, whatever. He could do three hours on that thing. There's, there's, and the AI would never get bored or tired or any right. of those things. Um, there's, there's wonderful potential upside for both those things. But to your point, there's also the idea that this person just becomes solely dependent on that feedback and sort of foregoes, you know, human conversation. So uh, part of that is about scope of practice and about building the tool so it uh, escalates properly into, you know, you need a real human to help you. So that's one piece of it, but others, uh, others are more complex than that. So when, uh, when a minor uh, sees a therapist, uh, their parents don't have access to the session normally, mm-hmm. but they do know that it's going on and they must know that it's going on. So how does that work with the AI? Um, that is something we have not tackled yet, uh, to be totally honest. So, but we also haven't deployed in an area where we need to yet. Right. Uh, so where we're deployed today, we have a pilot going right now with 75 therapists who are using the tool. Um, and they know that they're in a pilot and they know that the advice isn't always going to be perfect, but uh, we're getting feedback from them, having conversations with them and they're happy. Um, and then everything we're doing is like that, where today, there's always a professional. So in sales or whatever it is, um, customer success, there's a human in the loop. So a human is being advised by the AI and being augmented, but then the human is ultimately the decision maker who's interacting with the customer, client, patient, whomever. All righty. Let's take a a super quick break just to let you give out your website. So if folks want to connect, they can uh, learn more about this and and, uh, check out your blog and so forth. Sure. So uh, it's Cyrano.ai and Cyrano is spelled C-Y-R-A-N-O. So C-Y-R-A-N-O dot A-I. All right. And we'll put that in the show notes as well as your LinkedIn profile and so forth. Yeah. Um, so is that the kind of the next step or the current step is that this tool is being used by therapists to augment their, I guess, their questioning and help them improve their techniques? It's a small part. Um, that's going to be a long-term, long-form process. And I'm, I'm going to be very patient there. Um, and we're talking with a couple of healthcare organizations and hospitals and teaching hospitals about using our tool in those kinds of places as well to help improve patient outcomes. You know, like talk someone into making sure they do their physical therapy so that their knee or their shoulder or their heart recovers better, uh, things like that. But really what we're doing right now, you know, what the, the tech deployments are today are related to high value sales. So we're, um, we're in the market with a tool that's generic sales. And you can get a free demo of that on our website, by the way. If you go there and just click start free trial, you don't put in a credit card number or anything. You just get to try the thing for two weeks for free. Um, and then we also have a specific version for real estate agents. And uh, both those tools, um, the idea is people will use that tool and give us the feedback on trust issues, on deployment issues, on how accurate our system is analyzing people. Uh, We had a version of it on Zoom. We still technically do 
Uh, we've just kind of laid back on it a little bit, but we put 30,000 users on the tool for free, got you know uh, over 10 million minutes of uh, data on that and got 86% five-star reviews. So we're really spending a lot of time just getting the user feedback, making sure the advice is sound, making sure people are happy with um, the analysis that the system can do. Right. So this is a super long, long-term project. Uh, how are you uh, uh, feeding yourself in the meantime, right? So uh, do you have grants or uh, are you making sales with these or? Sure. So we raised about $1.2 million um, to get going, uh, basically with the patent. With, with the patent and the back of a napkin, we, uh, we were able to raise that. Um, and now we're just about to do some more fundraising. Um, but we've also done some non-scalable pilots. So we'll be able to, you know, the non-scalable pilots have been great because they give us, you know, sort of cash infusions every few months. And they allow us to sort of test different verticals and industries and, and learn about things. Um, but, but that's where we are. And then we have a couple of customers who are licensing our API and plugging it into their existing tech stacks. For um, customer service and sales or just? Uh, sales and customer success. Cool. So do you uh, anticipate this is something that'll be out in five years? Or Oh, the therapeutic models? Yeah. Uh, I think it will be, uh, so the crawl, walk, run, you know, the crawl is just have it be able to do what it's doing now. And, and we're, we're really happy with the crawl and sort of the, the state of the tech. Um, the, the next step is more stuff in medical and mental health. So taking that pilot of 75 and making that, you know, 10,000 doctors and therapists using the tool. And again, human in the loop and staying there. Uh, and then going from there into like a teen crisis hotline, suicide hotline, that kind of place, and doing the same thing with a human in the loop. And then using the suicide hotlines, the teen crisis hotlines, those places as the inflection point where the system will tell the human, this is what I'm going to say, is this okay? And having the human approve that. And once that's been done and we got a high, high enough success rate of the system saying the right thing, according to people, then we let the, uh, the system take over. So that's sort of the, the pacing. And my guess is that middle step where the robot, and I, I refer to it as a robot, but you know, the system um, is driving and the human is just monitoring. I think that's, yeah, three years away, four years away. Oh, okay. Well, it's interesting because if this is all text-based, that I, I text message into the system and the system text messages back, um, you can also look at the pauses between texts and mm -hmm. other things to figure out other stuff that's going on. I mean, that's where the actual, <laughs> some of the uh, AI can actually come into play is to figure out when people have this pause, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. And then that's some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of sub, you know, subliminal messaging that's going on uh, in communication that isn't just your word choice, but you know, how you say it, tonality, facial expressions, pauses, like you mentioned, all these sorts of things. And uh, building out the system that's going to take all of those in. We're in conversations with a company that does facial 
uh, recognition and a, a company that does tonal analysis. And we're talking about, you know, partnering on a, a project for all that. But today we're sticking with the words and we can have it be spoken, we can have it be written, we can have it be email, social media. We wanna know how you're thinking about the stuff going on in your life and do this in a way that's ethical. So we're not data mining people. We're right. not you know, doing anything like that. We're, we're really building this in a way that's for good. Yeah, it's such a cool project and I applaud you for, uh, for moving it so, so quickly, I guess. Um, have you thought about also selling this to uh, casinos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a couple. There's a couple groups that we think uh, shouldn't have it, and I, I think casinos <laughs> might be one of those. Well, again, that that gets back to the whole thing about you know in AI, it's all about okay, what's the ethical use of this, and you know who should the customers be? Yeah, you know there and there's there's a few that are really easy. We shouldn't give it to those people. Um, and without naming names, obviously, but my co-founders and I really see ourselves as stewards of this opportunity and doing it right and not screwing it up. And that's a big responsibility that we don't take lightly. Um, it, we have to execute well, and that means we're going to make uh, small mistakes along the way. And as long as we you know, own that and learn from it, I think we can end up in a good spot. Is there, do you think, some element that having to text it, having to put my feelings into words um, contributes uh, to the, the ability for people to actually express themselves? Yeah, and, and to be clear, this could be done uh, just as easily with uh, voice spoken because transcription is you know, so easily done these days. But back to your point about the sort of the DOS-based, how does that make you feel? Simply articulating uh, and it, that requires a synthesis of your ideas from these sort of nebulous, vague feelings and, and thoughts kind of bouncing in and out of your head into one uh, beginning to end narrative. Just that organization and synthesis helps a person to see things differently. That's why journaling helps. Um, you know, when I was going through school, someone said to me, paper is a great listener. And uh, what we're talking about is just sort of the, the you know, technological equivalent of the same thing at the very least. So um, when, when this comes out eventually for young people, do you expect it to be something that requires a doctor's supervision versus just being able to go to the Apple store and download a, an app? Uh, I, the way I want it built is so that it would not require a doctor's supervision. And, and the scope of practice for the tool and what the tool's limits would have on it would be built very similar to a volunteer at a crisis support line, which is why I really like that deployment. Because those volunteers at those, uh, let's call them a call center, you know, those, those mental health support crisis call centers, or even there are some that are subclinical. So they're not, I'm in crisis. They're just, hey, I need to talk to someone about some helpful stuff. Right. Um, and those exist, especially on college campuses increasingly. Um, being in that band of scope of practice is really where I want this tool. Um, I don't want this tool to be dealing with someone who's um, imminently suicidal. I want this tool to be deployed to people who are, you know, way upstream from that, you know, just kind of need some smaller early interventions uh, so they don't go down that path. And that also frees up the, uh, the human clinicians to be doing the more serious work that is more downstream. 
So sadly, we're all, uh, almost out of time, but it opens up the whole field of, okay, if it's way downstream, then it has the ability to get people to change some habits early on and even encourage them to go see a therapist yes. long before they become suicidal. Yeah, that's that's exactly the idea. So everything is about prevention, not about chasing. And uh, if you look at the Gates Foundation as a, as a great example, um, the Gates Foundation is one of the, if not, I think the uh, largest charitable organization ever. And they almost exclusively target prevention, not treatment, because there's a significantly better ROI there. Uh, you know, keeping, preventing problems is better than solving problems. Right. And, you know, ounce of prevention and all these expressions that we have. And so that's really where we want this thing uh, to exist. Very good. Well, thank you for your work and thank you for being with us today. I've been talking with Scott Sandlin from Cyrano.ai. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.